0: I am really thrilled to welcome the fabulous Muna Kay, who is the podcast host for Neurodiverse Love Podcast. If you guys have not checked it out yet, You desperately need to, if you've been following along with me and you've been checking out my stories, you know, I have been sharing and just exploding some love on Mona because her (laughs) podcast is phenomenal. I was a guest a few weeks back on her show and we had such a a fantastic conversation. She is just absolutely the most fun person to talk to, but we really had some great insights and conversations because Mona comes to this from a neurodiverse perspective in that she is the neurotypical in the neurodiverse couple. And I love how she shares her experiences, her insights, and her heart in where she's going and why she created the Neurodiverse Love Podcast. Hi, I'm Carol Jean, founder and host of Mind Your Autistic Brain talk show and community. And you're about to experience the new way to thrive in life and relationships as a late-identified autistic by unveiling who you are, how you communicate, finding your self-care plan from the inside out, and being the authentic creator of your best life. Get ready because this is where we go against the mainstream. Say no to outdated society norms, and we say yes to who we are in order to create a joy-filled, balanced, and more neurodistinct world. Welcome to Mind Your Autistic Brain. Mona, welcome to the show. And if you don't mind, share with everybody why you started this. what What are you seeking to do in the world? Absolutely. Carol Jean, thank you.
1: It's so wonderful to be on your talk show and to share a little bit. I want to tell your listeners that this has been an amazing journey for me, and it's been a roller coaster ride. So uh, I was married to my ex for 30 years. We were together for 32. We have an amazing 25-year-old daughter, and he, I feel, was my soulmate. And for me, a soulmate is somebody you learn from, and I'm still learning from him. He may not know it, but I am. So we separated in 2016, and it was mostly because he was so negative. He hated his job. He didn't like where we lived. And I'm a perpetual optimist, and it just got to me, and I thought I was losing myself. Uh, We separated in 2016. In 2017, a friend of mine who became the co-host for the first Neurodiverse Love um, season She told me about her relationship with a man she thought was neurologically different. And then everything she said was like, oh my gosh, that's my husband, that's my husband. You know, I just recognized everything about him. And the weird thing is I'm a social worker. I have a bachelor's a master's and a PhD in social work. And I didn't know that we were neurodiverse until our 29th year of marriage. We divorced in 2018. I've been divorced a little over three and a half years. And about a year and a half ago, I had healed to the point that I wanted to share my story because I knew I wasn't the only one out there that had experienced this. And we started the podcast. We hoped we'd help at least one couple or one person, whether they were neurotypical or neurodivergent. And now I think, Carol Jean, we have over 10,000 plays of, of the podcast. We have people from 15 countries listening and we're doing some really exciting things in 2022. So, and beyond. So I, I started the podcast to help me with my healing journey, but it's now been so helpful to so many others and I couldn't be happier.
0: Well, I, I love your shirt. I love the guests you. that you have on. I love the conversations that you have because I've been married and divorced twice. My first first husband, we didn't know I was autistic. We suspected he was ADHD, but we didn't put it all together. You know, he still is, he's the father of my children. He's the person I still dearly love. We co-parent together. We have thankfully over since 2008, when we divorced, we have healed that relationship to a point where we can go back and, and be friends again, which was a huge thing. Because boy, it was not a pretty divorce. It really was. It was ugly. For two and a half years, it was bad. Mm. And there was so much hurt in that process of that divorce that ooh, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. And so I love what you do because that is going to prevent a lot of that hurt from happening because of the conversations that you're having when it comes to mixed neurotype relationships, even same neurotype relationships. And you know, in my second marriage, he was the neurotypical and I was the neurodistinct human. And from the female side of that, it's what I share from that, that perspective of how do you operate in a mixed neurotype relationship? You know, and I didn't know until the very, very end and by then, you know, I'm waking up in the middle of the night to him hovering over me going, I hate you. And at that point, you're kind of like, yeah, I don't know that we're saving this one. <laughs> you know, just, there's some things that, that you just sometimes don't come back from. And yeah. I think that that's sort of, you know, one of the conversations that we have to have too. It's like, mm-hmm. when when can you repair a relationship? Mm-hmm. When can you find a way forward? Mm-hmm. And when when do you simply acknowledge that, hey, I don't know that I can move past. Maybe it's that you've decided you can't move past. And how do, how do we navigate ending that in a way that's going to be respectful of our decision to not move forward.
1: Yeah, Carol Jean, I think that is such an important issue. And I think we deal with it. I do run uh, two free support groups, peer support groups for the neurotypical partners, and I have offered them for the autistic partners. I think that's a big issue for a lot of the mostly women that I work with. I think for me, um, I'm going to speak for me, and then maybe I'll speak in general terms. I knew that I wanted to work on our marriage. There was no doubt about it. And the only reason I wanted the separation is because I knew that I was losing myself. But when I found out that we were neurodiverse, that we were a neurodiverse couple, I wanted to go for therapy. We went to three different therapists before we we knew we were neurodiverse and they did more harm than good because my ex was able to mask. And he was able to be this beautiful man who was so emotionally intelligent and all of this. And he was a completely different person in the therapist's office than he was when he got home with me. That hurt. That hurt a lot. But I appreciated that he was willing to go for therapy. When we found out we were neurodiverse, I wanted to go for therapy even more. And I found two therapists who had expertise in working with neurodiverse couples. And I wanna say to your audience, that is so critical. If you are in a neurodiverse relationship, whether you're both neurodiverse or um, one is, it is so critical to have a therapist who understands your neurodiversity, whether it's ADHD or autism, it doesn't matter. And so we found a therapist, but they weren't local. So we had to go online. That did not work for my ex. He did not like that. He wanted somebody that we could meet in person and we couldn't find that. And that was in 2017. There's a lot more people that are doing uh, neurodiverse couples counseling now. And there's a lot of coaches. But what I realized is after we went for one session online with a neurodiverse couples counselor and he said he would not go back, I was still willing to do the work he would tell me he was and then he wouldn't follow through and then i would say okay well then i'm filing for a divorce because that's where we were and then he would try to do something and then it wouldn't it wouldn't take and so i got to the point where i couldn't do it anymore and i'd like to share actually what happened because i think it might help some of your listeners um i thought i was having a heart attack and i went into the hospital in the middle of the night at 2 30 in the morning, we were separated. I called him. He came and, um, it took him about an hour to get to the hospital, which was about 10 minutes from his apartment. He was cold. He was stoic and he did not ask me how I was doing. He didn't come over and hold my hand or give me a hug or anything. And I was so scared. And I said, could you please, you know, hold my hand, you know, ask me how I'm doing something. And he, he basically ignored my request. He sat there thinking. And a few minutes later, Carol Jean, he said, I'm divorcing you next week. That was, yes, (laughs) I know that was my last straw, but now, and I share this because I think it's really important, especially for the neurodivergent partners to hear this from a neurotypical, I overwhelmed him. He had never seen me that vulnerable and I woke him up from sound sleep. Most likely he had to go to work the next day. And I think he thought that I was doing this to get his attention when the fact of the matter is I I really was, something was going on. I didn't know what it was and I was scared. And when we talked about his reaction, He apologized profusely the next day. And I think it's important for me to share this story, Carol Jean, because everybody has their own last straw that breaks the camel's back. I was willing to work as long as he was willing to work on our relationship. And I lost, you know, parts of myself, and I'm sure he lost parts of himself along the way. But that last comment when I was in the emergency room was the last straw that broke the camel's back. Um, you know, we all have needs. We all have wants. And we have to feel comfortable in sharing those with our partner and seeing which of those we can meet for ourselves and which are non-negotiables in our relationship. And one non-negotiable for me was, you know, we're getting older and and I need somebody who's going to be there for me. And so I'm healed. And, you know, he apologized. And I think, you know, that that's way in the past, but it was tough. It was tough.
0: That is a tough one. And it's, you know, also from the the very distinct side, it's also, you know, there's two different, there's two different responses in that for us a lot. It's, it could be either of the two and it's either I go into emergency mode and it's whatever's right in front of me. I just keeps taking one step at a time. You solve the problem. And then after the emergency is over, then it all hits you and you fall apart. Right. The other is the, the freeze, you know, in that event. And it's a shutdown. It's and mm-hmm. I don't know how to process this. And, you know, the executive function shuts down and all of the things. And when you don't know this about yourself and when you don't know this in your relationship, all the stories that we tell ourselves from that experience of what we think it is, boy, that really, that really colors the whole event and can really impact what you think is truly happening. You know, and of yeah. course we've got the retrospect of it, but, you know, I think this leads in beautifully to our conver- our conversation today about what are the accommodations that we seek in a neurodiverse relationship when we're a mixed neurotype couple what are the accommodations that that we need to think about and you know sometimes one of those is when I look back and I see things now and I see them with some new knowledge Mm -hmm. to to take the time to rewrite the story
1: yes yes that is it's so important and I On my Instagram account, I'm always saying when I look through the neurodiverse lens, everything changes, everything. And again, I want to share with your listeners, I have forgiven my ex for everything because I understand. I don't know if he's forgiven me and that's his journey, but I have forgiven him for everything because I understand. Um, I understand what I did wrong, and I understand where I could have done things differently. And I think that the accommodations are so critical. So I'll give you a few examples of where I could have done better. (laughs) Um, I know that when my ex would come home from work, no matter what time it was, he needed time alone. And Mona is a social worker and Mona wants to process her day and Mona wants to talk about what happened with our child and Mona wants to just go on, right? And uh, he would sometimes, if he could listen, or at least he'd attempt to listen, but I know I overwhelmed him and he would be short with me or he might not look at me, you know, when I wanted his attention or whatever. And he just needed Probably an hour of just alone time to eat his meal, to look on his phone, to do, or just to be in silence, or have his you know headphones on. Whatever. I didn't know it, and he didn't know. And if we had known that, we could have avoided so many uh, fights and so much misunderstanding. That's a big one. Another one is uh, because his work took so much from him, um, on the weekends, he would sleep till four o'clock in the afternoon, sometimes Saturdays and Sundays. And I wanted time with him. You know, I wanted that emotional reciprocity. I wanted to go out. I wanted to go to a concert or an art festival or whatever. And he sometimes would go, but oftentimes he would say no. And I took it personal And we just did an episode on the four agreements. And I think the, by Don Miguel Ruiz. Yeah. And the one that really got me was um, taking things personal. Don't take things personal. I took everything personal in our relationship. That's
0: a big one for a lot of us. And I love that book.
1: It's, it was so humongous. And so I got hurt every time he said no to me. And what I needed to do was say, okay, if you can't if you're not able to do this now, when could we have time together? But again, we didn't know when we lived under the same roof that we were neurodiverse. Um, the other thing is parenting. I think this is a really important one especially for folks that have young children. For my ex, it was really easy for him, I think, to be a, ch- to be a parent of a young child because he had control and he could, he had her schedule down pat, you know, when she would be fed and when he would take her out and when there would be play time. He was the best daddy to our, our daughter when she was young, probably until she was six or seven, um, maybe even eight. And then he needed space away from her play dates and her activities, and anything that was outside of his realm of kind of routine and control. He didn't want to be involved in activities in the classroom or go on field trips. The first field trip he went on, I think our daughter was in second or third grade, a girl, one of the girls ran away from the group. He came home, he said, Mona, I will never, ever, ever go on another field trip again. And he didn't. So I thought, why would you not want to be involved in your daughter's school activities or sit at the table when she brings over her friends? It was too much for him. It was too much. And so those are just a few of the areas where I know I could have provided accommodations if I had known we were neurodiverse.
0: I think that's if you bring a really good point to, to discuss on this, and that is, the difference in our energy needs and, and how, how we recharge Mm -hmm. because even as a neurodistinct person for me, you know, I also have ADHD. So I've got this huge, we talked about this. I've got this huge nuclear power plant (laughs) energy and and Josh, my partner has this little tiny solar panel and it takes a lot more and it runs out faster for him to recharge. And, and it's, the stories that we tell ourselves, kind of like, you know, you felt like, oh, you, you know, the story would tell ourselves, oh, you don't want to go do stuff with me on the weekend. You don't want to spend time with me. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got those stories that we tell ourselves and it's like, oh, you're rejecting me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, gosh, I love the four agreements because that was a big one for me too, Mona. Don't take it personally.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it was a really hard one for me to wrap my head around for a while. Like I really had to dig into that one for a bit for myself because I've lived my whole life taking everything personally. Me too. <laughs> everything Me too. was personal. If it wasn't personal, why, what is, what is the point? Right. I thought everything was supposed to be personal. And to and I was a big people that, pleaser. Yeah. Ooh, I, mm, <laughs> I am, I'm a reformed and recovering people pleaser. Oh yeah. And, and when you, especially, you know, the societal norms that we have as women, you know, that we're supposed to be XYZ and all these things. And so we do get into that. And, and when you can step back and start to look at things as, you know, don't take it personally. Right. And I'm like, what do you mean do will take it personally? I'll take it all personally. <laughs> Isn't it all personal? Shouldn't it be personal? I mean, you know, but really when you look at it, when we onboard things and we take it personally, We're coloring it with our lens Mm -hmm. and it's not the reality. Nine times out of 10 Mm -mm. and we get in more of a pickle than we would have been if we simply didn't take it personally and just ask some questions. That to me was the big part, asking some questions for clarity. What about you? Amen.
1: Absolutely. And one of the things that I noticed as our relationship went on, um, it was more difficult for my ex to hear me ask for clarity. And you got to remember, we were together for 32 years. So there was a lot of pain, a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of trauma, all of it unintentional. I really believe all of it was unintentional on both of our sides. But when I would ask for understanding or clarity. I think he thought I was mocking him or being patronizing. And so for those folks that are neurodivergent or neurodistinct, um, if your partner is asking you questions nine times out of 10, I will bet they're really trying to understand, especially if they know that you're a neurodiverse couple. When I asked questions, it was always for clarification. It was Always or almost always. I shouldn't say always. Almost always to understand, because I really loved my ex and I wanted to be a better partner, but he didn't take it that way, and I feel bad. You know, I never meant to be patronizing or, you know, to put him down in any way.
0: And I, you know, I think that that. Oh man, Mona, that that right there is a blessing to just be able to to say that and acknowledge it and have that conversation because. And on the other side, on the neurodistinct side of that, it's, I didn't know the questions to ask Mm. that. And that led to a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of hurt in my past relationships. I didn't, I wasn't aware of certain aspects to even ask a question or the other person wasn't aware of certain aspects and didn't know the question to ask. And so sometimes just having those external questions to reflect on in areas you may not even know that you should be asking those questions yeah. is huge. And you yeah. have something really beautiful that you've been putting together that's coming out, I think in April, right? Yes. And that is the so, diverse love cards. Would you share that yes. with everybody?
1: Yes. Thank Carol. Jean is helping. Um, so one of the things that I knew is that there were so many questions that I wanted answers to during my marriage, um, because I didn't know we were neurodiverse. And so I'm creating the neurodiverse love conversation cards right now. It's going to be a deck of probably 52 and we've had some neurodiverse couples who have piloted them. And one of those couples is Carol Jean and Josh. And they provided me with feedback and we're going to offer them for sale, not for a lot of money, but we want to get them out to as many couples as possible. And then we're going to have, and this is Carol Jean's idea, the um, expander packs on other topics. So these are kind of general topics all over um, the spectrum, different topics that you might want to talk about everything from sex to, you know, what part of the day do you like best? And then we might do expander packs on sex and dating and family and parenting and whatever. And I think it's so hard sometimes to think of the questions you want to ask to get clarification and understanding about your partner. So these allow you to, you know, get a little head start. And so they'll be out in April and we look for Autism Awareness Month and we look forward to sharing them with the world.
0: I can't wait because not only does Mona have this phenomenal deck of cards that's coming out to help spark conversations, to give, to give some direction for questions that maybe you haven't thought of in your own relationship. She's also going to be our mastermind workshop guest in our new coaching cafe academy course that's coming out and the doors open February the 14th. We are going to be hosting some phenomenal guest speakers, and Mona is one of them. And she will be talking about relationships and neurodiverse couples, the love, the conversation, and she's going to be going deeper into some of these questions and how you can use them in your relationships. Be it that you are a mixed type relationship, or if you're of the same neurotype, you're both neurodistinct. I mean, Josh and I are both, you know, he is not identified, but we think he might be, but we don't know. So we just say, okay, well, you're (laughs) neurotypical and I'm neurodistinct and that's who we are for right now. But there's so many things that, These questions, when Josh and I did them, holy cow, we had so much fun answering them. It really gave us a new perspective on some of the things that we felt are kind of new in the background, but we hadn't articulated together. So it was such a great conversation. And Noda has done such a spectacular job of really covering a good foundational set of questions to start with. And being able to use these in your relationship is just going to be one of the things that I think can be such a blessing. And I love that you're doing this. I love, love, love it. Thank you. And thank you for all your help. I appreciate it. Oh gosh, it was my pleasure completely. So guys, I would love to invite you to go ahead and be one of the people on the waiting list. Be the first through the door on... February the 14th, when the doors open for Coaching Cafe Academy, to be sure that you get access to this amazing mastermind that Moda is going to present in April on neurodiverse relationships. Get your questions ready. We're going to be basing everything around our communication ecosystem to help you develop your unique neurodistinct communication style, the relationship types, and then we're going to be tying in and helping bring things back around to where does it apply in your life? Where does the rubber meet the road, so to speak? because we can read all kinds of things and that gives us great understanding, but we don't know it till we've used it. So this is an actual step-by-step. How do you use it? How do you implement it? And then also the hands-on live question and answer sessions, trainings to help you go a little bit deeper on each thing in a slow way. Nothing is gonna be overwhelming in this, I promise. This is a simple, very clear and direct process. (laughs) And we're gonna be doing this for six months only. So get in, get in the doors, don't miss your opportunity. Mona, if you had one thing that you would love to share with our audience about, if you could go back and if you could just say to one couple today, something that you know is a big part of a neurodiverse relationship and really bridging that communication gap and that understanding barrier and healing some of those hurts that we sometimes hold and we don't know. What would that be?
1: I think the biggest thing is listen to truly understand and know that you both can have different perspectives and both be right because yeah, Um, because I saw things in a very emotional way. My ex saw things very rational and logical. And when we came from those two perspectives and it had something to do with something outside of our relationship, we were great partners. But when it had something to do with an issue in our relationship and I was the emotional one and he was the rational and logical one, it didn't work as well. (laughs) So I think we can both have different perspectives and both be right. And we just need to understand each other oh boy is that a good one that is
0: oh I wish I would have had that 20 years ago (laughs) me too me too too. but guys that is the gold nugget right there you can each have a perspective you can each see something in a unique way and you can both be right yep and usually on our hill of our rightness (laughs) we can die on our hill of our rightness or we can see that we could both possibly be right
1: right 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 (laughs) It's like the, the six, when you see a six and you're on one side of the six or you're on the other side of the six, you may see a nine, you may see a six. You're both right, depending on which side you're on. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, that's one of the things that has probably been the biggest eye-opening lens flip, perspective flip for me in my late identified life was that it's not this or that. It's not either or it's this and that. Amen. Amen. And it's so hard to get there, Carol
1: Jean. It's so hard to get there when you are stuck in being right and you're being driven by your ego and you're taking everything personal. You make assumptions. That's another big one. (laughs) You know what happens when you make assumptions? Right. And, And I did all those things in my marriage.
0: All of them. All of them, all of them. Over and over again. And I think that's probably what gives us such relatable, authentic insight is because we have been there. We have made them and we've gotten to another side of that. And we can look back and say, I made these mistakes. I know what this felt like. I, I know what it took for me to get here and to see it differently. And if I can help you instead of meandering, trying to figure it out and and getting stuck and knowing that there's something else, but not knowing how to get there, that's why we do what we do to help people get there in a shorter amount of time to get there with less frustration. Absolutely. I wish, I wish that
1: we hadn't even had a two and a half year separation because it was very, very difficult. I wish it had been, you know, six months and we had made a decision, whatever, but we still loved each other. And we didn't understand each other. And when we understood each other, it was really good. And when we didn't understand each other, it was horrific. Oh, (laughs) right there with, yeah. (laughs) You know, and so you hold out hope. And I think this is also important for the listeners. You hold out hope that things are going to get better because when they do, you hold on to them and you wish for more and you hope for more. But if you don't understand each other, and sometimes you need that third party, you know, that coach, that counselor to help you understand each
0: other's perspective. So, yeah. And that's a big thing too, sometimes just understanding that none of us learn anything in isolation. We Mm -hmm. all learn through other people. We are social learners. Yes, I can take a book and I can read everything about it. I can understand it. But until I have someone else impart their experience and their knowing, their knowledge, I only have an understanding.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes people aren't ready to understand. And so they can read and they can watch videos and they can hear things, but it doesn't fully resonate with them yet. But when people are ready to truly understand the changes they can have in their life are exponential. It, it's that, exponential change. I love really, that. that is truly,
0: that's truly the word I, exponential.
1: Yeah. Think about yourself. You know, when you were ready to fully embrace your late diagnosis and be who you are now. Yeah.
0: Yes. And the possibility, you know, I talked about the word the other day be a possibilitarian. I love that. I love it. It's Robin Sharma's word. And it's just (laughs) be a possibilitarian because there is hope. And there's so often in late identified life where hope has not been something that you felt you could embrace, but you knew somewhere deep inside your beautiful, soulful self, you know, that hope is there and there's a possibility. And Mona and I are here in the world showing up to make sure that all of you who have that glimmer, who have that spark, that you are the possibilitarian and we are going to help you get there. Yes. Thank you for joining us today. Don't miss next week's episode. We're going to be diving in deeper into relationships and all of the goodies because we're going to be talking about it from the female autistic perspective. Join us next week. We'll see you then, guys. Bye bye. Thanks, Carol Jean. If you are someone who likes to help people and share what has made a difference in your life, please share this talk show with a friend and on your social media accounts so that you can be the blessing in another late identified autistic's life. Be sure to tag me at Social Audie so I can personally say thank you. And to help keep the talk show ad free, please consider becoming a one time or a recurring supporter through either Buy Me a Coffee or the Anchor Podcast links in the show notes below. I truly appreciate your support. Thank you for being a listener, and thank you for adding your voice to our story.